You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Warden. And we have one of the rising stars in the, in the equestrian industry on our podcast today. Yes, I am so excited for this one. We're being joined by Dr. Achia Hardman. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, and she's here to talk about both her clinical work and research in um, objective gait analysis and um, also her work with the company Slipe, which is really cool. And um, you guys will learn about here. I have met Achia a few times now, and she's so brilliant and enthusiastic. And I think what's really cool uh, about her and about um, the conversation that you guys are about to listen to is that she really is doing the very thing that that we're trying to do with our group, and that's bridging the gap between you know academic research and clinical practice and finding the sweet spot of of how we take the knowledge um, from both places and and turn it into action. Um, and so it's really cool that she's been able to do that and turn it into something that is also, in my opinion, um, really democratizing our industry or has the potential to. I think that uh, Slipe as a tool is is going to change the game for objective gait analysis just because it's more accessible than a lot of the systems that have preceded it. And there are a lot of amazing systems out there. Um, but uh, unless you have access to a clinic like Lucia, where um, Dr. Hardiman worked, uh, it it sort of eluded most of us until, until now. So yeah, definitely really excited for everyone to hear this conversation. So Ahia graduated from Utrecht University in 2012 as a doctor of veterinary medicine. Afterward, she attended the Bone Backbone Academy in Germany to become a certified equine chiropractor. In 2014, she moved to Germany to work at Tierklinik Lucia, one of the biggest referral clinics in Europe, where she was part of the orthopedic and rehabilitation team. So she's definitely uh, got a lot of accolades already. And then at the same time, she also did her PhD where she was supervised by Dr. Rene Van Weeren and Dr. Lars Rostorf. And her PhD focused on the clinical application of quantitative gait analysis in horses. After moving back to the Netherlands, she started her own business, which is called Data Horse, which focuses on the clinical implication of quantitative gain analysis in several clinics and practices, as well as for individual patients. And then she's also the current uh, global customer success manager for Slipe. Hi, Ahia, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Hi. <laughs> so we'll dive right in. We've got a lot to cover today. So you published some of your PhD work uh, last year and the year before, and you had a really op- interesting opportunity to collect objective gait metrics in a clinical setting at Clear Tier Clinic Lucia, an equine veterinary clinic in Germany. Many of our listeners are in North America, and we don't have clinics like Lucia. Can you discuss the research environment there and the scale of horses that the clinic utilizes and how that gives you access to a really diverse population and a really clinically relevant population? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, well, it, it, like, like you said, it's one of the bigger um, referral clinics from Europe and it's a, a mix of all kind of disciplines. So it's not only orthopedics, uh, rehabilitation, but also internal medicine, uh, dentistry work, surgery. Um, it's a team of 30 uh, vets. And I think by now it even increased a bit to maybe 35 or so. 
Uh, and it is for sure not primary uh, research environment because it's a real commercial clinic. Um, but they are really interested in being part of, uh, yeah, new technologies, new innovations generally uh, in equine medicine. And that's why I got the opportunity to do my PhD simultaneous to my uh, clinical work. Um, concerning the caseload, it's for orthopedics, it's, it's a really high caseload. So that made it very nice for me to include, uh, yeah, high numbers of patients. It is quite of a homogeneous population, I would say, because it's mostly warm bloods, dressage show jumping, eventers, a bit of driving. Um, and, um, yeah, it, yeah, in, in, in those disciplines. So, um, yeah, for that purpose, it was also quite nice to be able to do some research on a population that you are actually working on uh, on as well. I don't know if you know this, Ahia, but I had the opportunity to, to visit uh, to your clinic, Lucia, last year in Jan-Hein Schwagemachers. Ah, nice. Yeah, nice. And, uh, yeah, just for everyone at home, like it's, a, it's an incredible facility, right? Like, how many stalls are there? It's around 80 to 90 boxes. Um, so a lot of stationary patients as well. And um, I think that's one of their uh, biggest pros if you compare it to other clinics that they really take a lot of time uh, for orthopedic patients to work them up properly. So if you start blocking, it's not like one or two blocks and then uh, and kind of educated guess uh, what the lameness uh, yeah, will be caused by. But it's really taking sometimes two, three, four days um, to do a proper workup on on these patients, and that's yeah one of the reasons that they need a lot of stables, but also of course for surgery patients or dentistry uh, and and some uh, intensive care um, boxes as well. Very cool. I'm kind of jealous. I think I need to sign up for a visit. Uh, so uh, a lot of veterinarians, equine veterinarians, and uh, all all animal um, practitioners uh, generally either have clinical practice or, you know, are research focused, but what would you say attracted you to undertaking research in addition to your regular veterinary practice? Well, honestly, it was not really research on itself that attracted me because I'm not at all a research or an academic uh, person, uh, but I just had questions that I wanted to answer to be able to do my clinical work uh, a bit better or or uh, generally to get orthopedics to a higher level. And, and that's a bit how it started, I must say, because I saw some gait analysis technology in the in the Netherlands uh, and I brought it to uh, Jan Hein and Mark. And like I said before, they are really open in uh, yeah getting to know new technologies. And they said, well, if you like that, um, you should go to Lars Rupsdorf in, in Sweden and Uppsala. So they sent me to a PhD course for two weeks. That was really when I just got started in uh, in Lucia. Uh, and, and to be honest, I didn't get anything of it. It was so difficult. And these were all engineers. And I think <laughs> I was the only clinician within this group. It was I came back. I said, I don't know. I don't think I'm able to do this. <laughs> Um, and then, um, yeah, Jan Hein kind of convinced me together with Lars that it would be a super nice opportunity. And, and of course, I saw that as well. It was just more the level of research where I yeah, was a bit afraid that I wouldn't be able to, to get it done. Um, but yeah, bit by bit. And it is a bit of a challenge, uh, both hour wise. I mean, it's a full time job with night duties and weekend duties and then doing your PhD next to that. 
Um, but also because you're not in an academic environment. So if you need help, it's not just knocking on the next door, uh, but trying to book a meeting with one of the professors. And yeah, that, that made it a bit of a challenge. But on the other hand, also, like I said, a huge opportunity uh, because you're really working with uh, clinical driven questions. Uh, and something that, in my opinion, was useful uh, for all clinicians that want to work with uh, with gait analysis. And that was really the drive for me. And, and speaking of those uh, clinically relevant questions, let's dive into some of that research now. So you published a paper, I think it was last year or the year before in the Equine Veterinary Journal. And in that research, you were examining asymmetry in horses undergoing a pre-purchase exam. And I think this is something that everyone thinks a little bit about, right? When you send a veterinarian off to do that pre-purchase exam and, and they're looking for some of that asymmetry and, and sort of what the balance is in that uh, sort of examination. So what questions were you hoping to answer with this work? Um, I think mainly to have a first ID slash overview of, of uh, reference values and, and what is acceptable, what is non-acceptable. And of course, that's a super difficult question because that depends on so many factors and it won't be a, a, a black-white cutoff value. But I just wanted to have a first idea of what it would look like if I would compare uh, the quantitative data of horses that were presented for PPE uh, with the advice of one of these experienced veterinarians. So whether they got the positive or negative advice after the clinical exam. Uh, th th that was one of my questions. And um, yeah, then it turned out that um, it worked much better to not only look at the single lameness parameters for those who are a bit familiar with it, like the min diff or the max diff, uh, but even more to combine those parameters in biomechanically logical patterns. Uh, and then the third step was that we corrected it for range of motion. And if you think about that, uh, I compare a, a small show jumping pony to a, a high quality dressage horse. You can imagine that the vertical range of motion of the entire body is completely different. Um, and if you if you uh, correct for that, then we were able to uh, distinguish those groups from each other. So the ones that had a, a positive versus a negative advice after the clinical PPE. Um, I think you can go much further in this, and I, I'm sure we are able to um, get to set those values a bit smaller uh, if we have a higher caseload, because I included 100 horses at the end that were, um, yeah, were good enough to fulfill the, the inclusion criteria. But if you would do that with a thousand or 10,000 um, horses, um, I'm sure you will be able to, yeah, to have a, a smaller reference value and to also to be able to correct um, for, uh, for example, age or discipline, because I'm sure those factors play a role as well. And I could not um, show that in my study because it was never um, significant. Uh, and I think that's due to the uh, the low numbers. That's really incredibly fascinating. And, you know, in our our group, the Equine High Performance Sports Group that, uh, you know, we've chatted with you uh, about a couple different things in the past. And one of the things that we tend to focus on is the sort of gap between um you know the the academic research that happens at a lot of the the big universities and clinical practice and what's so unique about your studies is that you bridge that gap from the get-go because you were coming at it from a 
from a clinical perspective and answering questions that were, you know, directly impacting your clinical practice, but trying to to also, you know, take advantage of the the opportunity, as you said, um, to to do some real academic research. And what's so cool to me is that kind of led you to your your next uh, step, which is uh, what we want. I wanted to ask you about. I know that now you're the global customer success manager for a really exciting new technology called Slipe. Um, so, so glad the last time we chatted that you actually taught me how to pronounce it. <laughs> S-L-E-I-P for anybody listening. Um, this technology is a total game changer for the reasons I just described. It's really bridging that gap between, you know, academic research and, and clinical practice and, you know, adding real value, I think, both for horse owners and and veterinarians. Um, and it's being adopted pretty quickly around the world. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about it? Uh, you know, I think a lot of our listeners have heard of it, but many probably, you know, this is their first introduction. So if you could just share a little bit. Yeah, well, it, it is, of course, one of the technology technologies that that uh, makes uh, gait analysis, uh, yeah, useful for every uh, clinician. Uh, and I think the the biggest pro from Slip is that it's it's so easy to use that uh, whether you're a solo practitioner uh, or you work at a clinic like Lucia, uh, it's it's just helping you in your daily job. Uh, to have some sort of second opinion, you have good documentation of your cases, uh, you have a good video, uh, and of course, you get the data as with the other systems. So what it does, uh, like what we had until now, is either mocap, so based on, on motion capture in 3D, where you need a lot of expensive cameras, or IMU technology, which uses uh, sensors, uh, and and quite some of the uh, of this audience might need might know that either uh, a lameness locator or uh, equimoves or equigate or equisim, uh, and that does a very good job as well. Uh, but you still need to put the sensors on. You need to calibrate it. You need to charge it. Uh, and uh, I think there, Slape jumps into the market where you just need your phone. It's technology based on computer vision AI. Um, so tracking is automated. Uh, you just need to record your patient with your iPhone. Uh, the data are uh, sent to the computer, processed, and you get the results back on your phone within minutes. And I think that's the biggest uh, advantage when you compare it to other technologies. It's super fast and super user friendly. Um, so that's yeah, in a nutshell, what it what it looks like. <laughs> So forgive me, because I this uh, is the kind of stuff that I totally geek out on. Um, <laughs> so uh, can you talk a little bit about what those uh, metrics and parameters are specifically that that you get so quickly once you um, do upload a, a video, for example? Yeah, um, well, it, it, it's not that different in that way from other technologies that we had already before on the market, because the parameters that we are interested in already known for 30 years uh, out of biomechanical research. Uh, so that's mainly what I said before, the min diff and the max diff. So the, the difference in the highest and the lowest point um, uh, during trot of the entire torso. So whether you look at the head, the widus or the tubus sacral, and then of course, depends on whether you're interested in a fore or a hind limb um, um, asymmetry or lameness. Um, so those um, parameters are provided. Uh, the only difference is in Slape, it's 
uh, of course, a 2D video. So you don't have, or at least now we don't have absolute millimeters. So it is relative to the range of motion, what we talked about before with the PPE study. And that's the same or the same yeah, technique is used in the, in the application. Um, the, the values are provided relative to range of motion. Um, and I think that's, that, that's both a pro and a con. Uh, the pro is, in my opinion, that it makes it much easier to compare horses with each other. Like we uh, discussed before, uh, a small pony has a complete different range of motion um, than a high-quality dressage horse. Uh, and that makes that the amount of millimeters for a one out of five lameness, for example, is also completely different between those two patients. Uh, and SLAPE is correcting um, in that way uh, for you. Uh, what they also correct for is the difference in vertical amplitude of the fore versus the hind limbs. Uh, and that's another very important um, calculation, I think, because when you think about a one out of five lameness of a forelimb, uh, versus a hind limb, uh, the amount of millimeters in the vertical direction again is completely different due to the cervical spine that is, yeah, kind of working as a lever arm where the head goes up and down much more than uh, the pelvis. Uh, and those are, um, yeah, that, that is kind of biomechanical knowledge that you need to know to be able to do a good data interpretation um, from a mocap or an IMU system. Uh, and SLAPE is correcting for that automatically. So you are able to compare for an hind limb lameness uh, on the same uh, on the same level, so to speak. Uh, so it makes it super easy to yeah to look at the data. Uh, and then on the other hand, of course, it's a bit more of a black box. So if you are really more research related or you want to know exactly what's going on, yeah, then it's a bit more of a challenge. And I think when whenever we think about the equestrian community, especially in North America, we we have the vision that it's a little bit slow to change, mm -hmm. right? And do you find that the veterinarians are a little bit slower to adopt this technology than you would maybe expect? Or are there sort of those early adopters and then there are the people who you maybe need to work a little bit harder to to educate them on how this technology can be incorporated? I think the early adapter stage we already had. When I started with my PhD in, in, in 2015, 2016, it, it, that was really the case. Then a lot of veterinarians felt like kind of offended by the entire technology because they were afraid that it would take over their job and, uh, and also a bit. Um, um, the the attitude of yeah, but I have a very good developed eye for it, and why would I need such technology to be able to do my lameness assessments? Uh, and that culture is is kind of changed by now. Uh, I think one because it's used on on a much bigger scale already, um, and 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 a lot of vets uh, tried it out or saw it at other clinics or or congresses or. or uh, or whatever, and and saw the added value, uh, but also clients are asking for it, uh, and and that also gives maybe a bit of pressure to yeah get to know a bit more about the technology and what it can do for you. And I think since yeah since that happened, uh, a lot of vets actually figured out that it is not taking over your job, and it is not. Uh, being uh, a better vet without a second opinion or an objective 
system next to you. It is just an added value in your documentation, in, in some client service, in being transparent in your um, in your clinical exam, in being able to share data with your colleague or with your client, uh, in in uh, yeah being able to identify biomechanical patterns that belong either to primary four or primary hind limb lameness, uh, follow horses over time. Uh, uh, for example, with, if you do a lot of sports horse monitoring and you see these horses every week or maybe every second week, and you can. Uh, detect very subtle changes, uh, um, then you can already, yeah, um, go into an, an earlier stage of, of trying to to do some sort of intervention, whatever it is, either treating or just a, a short break, or uh, depends on on the entire situation, of course. Uh, and I think since vets figured that out, uh, this this entire attitude kind of. Um, changed. I don't say that everyone is um, on that page already, but uh, I think most vets now know what it is and and what it could do uh, for you. Yeah, I think from the perspective of a horse owner that you know I didn't have access really to getting to play with or observe an objective gait analysis system until Slipe. Um, that's what's been so exciting for me is that I can actually see it in practice without having to be, you know, invited somewhere like Lucia, or somewhere else that had one of the more complex systems. Um, so I think it's uh, sort of democratizing the technology a little bit, which is pretty cool. Um, but I also uh, observing the veterinarians that I, I've observed so far being introduced to it for the first time. I think the cases that are really interesting to me in the sport horse component are the horses that are in the margins where their asymmetries are really, really minor um, and barely perceptible <laughs> to the human eye. Um, and so like some, there are some really good vets that might see it and some good riders that can feel it. Um, but when we're looking at the longevity of sport horses in their careers, I think those marginal um you know, asymmetries are important to be aware of and to measure over time. So I think that's super cool. Um, and then also when there's, you know, more than one asymmetry going on, which is a lot of times the case in most horses, yeah. um, I think it it adds a unique perspective. Um, so Yeah, no, it, it does for sure. And I think what you are just um, describing um uh, uh slave has a as a an extra option um there to yeah to involve owners a bit more in, in the entire um sports horse monitoring by giving them the opportunity to record their horse and send it to the vet uh, and especially in 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 circumstances where you're maybe not able to visit the horses every week or where owners are on a competition or overseas for uh, a longer period of time, you are still able to monitor these horses on a weekly or or biweekly basis, whatever you prefer. And I think that's one of the of the opportunities that Slape can give you as a horse owner um, to still have contact with your own vet, uh, although he's may or he or she is maybe not close. Awesome. I, I just want to take one step back for a second. And again, I apologize because I'm kind of 
uh, being a total nerd, but um, I have been following a lot of these new AI powered technologies, both in the equine space and just sort of in every day. I love to um, take questions to Jet Jet GPT when I when I have <laughs> a little free time and just play around with it. And um, I think people are are getting a little bit more familiar with uh, the capabilities of this kind of technology. And I just wonder because it is a big part of of what you're working on now, if you guys also have conversations about just sort of the dangers of that te- technology in this context and and just things that you're sort of looking down the road and, and trying to prevent or avoid. Um, and, and if this is outside of your area of expertise, that's fine too. I'm just curious. What, what kind of danger, what, what, what do you uh, refer to in which, in which area? Uh, I mean, it's more just thinking about the, the capabilities of the technology, I think, and, Danger is a little bit extreme, but I think relevant with some applications of artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. Um, with motion capture, I'm, I haven't really, I don't really know. Um, so I'm just curious, maybe danger is not a, the right word, but maybe just uh, concerns or or just things that you guys are sort of looking out for um, or being aware of to make sure that you you keep it on the path that you, you would like to keep it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, two things pop up pop up in my mind. One is, uh, yeah, being able to uh, to provide people with accurate data. I think that is super important. And there's also a lot of non-accurate stuff outside, not only with AI but also with uh, with sensor-based systems. Um, but that is something we are for sure aware of. And and uh, the parameters we currently have within the application are validated. Uh, against 3D motion capture, because uh, that is the gold standard when we're talking about kinematics. Uh, and um, yeah, that should be uh, done in the future as well when we add new parameters. And you can imagine that that's much easier uh, in an application uh, compared to uh, a sensor-based system. So that will happen on the short term that we have additional parameters on on back, neck, pelvic uh, motion or pro-retraction of limbs, for example. Um so that is something that I think we are aware of and we need to be careful with the, the accuracy and as a user uh, and, and for sure as a veterinarian, you need to be um, very critical when you start using some sort of either hardware or software. Uh, and is it validated? Uh, which parameters are provided? Uh, how useful are those parameters? Because there's also a lot of on the market at the moment. Um, <laughs> and for horse owners, that's the same um issue i think and and they just buy something especially these single sensor based systems and um, most of the times um there's nothing disclosed about their accuracy uh and, and and yeah as a vet you need to be able to answer those questions i think if if your clients come with such a, a sensor to you you need to know um if it provides you with accurate data or not because don't get me wrong i think there is a market for those um, 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 systems as well, because it can have a very good warning functionality. Should I go to my vet? Yes or no. Uh, but it need to it needs to provide you with with uh, reliable data. Of course, I think that's the first thing. If I need to mention something as a as a danger, um, and the other thing is, uh, yeah, we need to be very careful who's able to use this technology uh, and who is. Uh, responsible for the data interpretation 
because uh, that can be, um, yeah, a risk as well, of course. Uh, if you compare it to uh, radiology, if, if owners are able to make their own x-rays and what's going to happen, who is going to look at these and who is going to do the interpretation. Uh, that's another topic that's, uh, yeah, that's discussed within the company. <laughs> No, it's it's for sure very very fascinating, and uh, we'll definitely put some links to uh, the website and a few different pieces as well, so people can go out can go after they listen and check out the technology because it's for sure really really fascinating, and your team has done an incredible job getting it to this to this point. Um, just looking at the time, we're getting close to the end of the episode, and that brings us to our last question, and it's a question we ask uh, everyone, Ahia. And it's a little bit silly, but if you could speak directly to a horse and the horse could understand you, what would you want to tell them? What do you wish that horses knew? Yeah, I saw that question and then I replied to you that I had no clue what I should do with it. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think that was my first uh, thought. And and I think uh, that's still um, valid for me that I would actually not want to tell something to a horse. I would rather... Uh, have the the opportunity to listen what they have to say because that's uh, a, a much more difficult task in my opinion to figure out what they want to say to us uh, and and that is something yeah I learned in all the years of of clinical work and and, and my PhD as well that horses tell you a lot uh, and 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 teach you a lot uh, most of it is actually not even horse related um, so. Um, yeah, that 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 would be my um, approach. I think I, if if I'm allowed to to change the question a bit, I would be very happy if I could listen to some horses what they have to say instead of uh, the other way around. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a perfect uh, that's a perfect answer, especially given the topics today, right? With this motion capture technology, I think get it in its most simplest in its most simple form. It is another way to listen to the horse. Right, that you get like true quantitative outcomes, and it's it's a way to listen to your horse over time to put that information in the hands of the veterinarian so they can make an informed decision. Right, I hope so. so. Yeah, I really hope that it can help us to improve uh, not only performance but also welfare and just to lift orthopedics to uh, to a higher level. And I think this technology can play a major role in that if we all invest. In, in high quality data collection and in evidence-based data interpretation. And that will uh, uh, cost some time because there is quite some knowledge behind it. Uh, but again, um, it, it will do the job when we uh, invest in it. <laughs> That's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much, Achia. We really enjoyed uh, having you on the podcast and hopefully we'll get to chat with you and, and play with Slife again soon. For sure. For sure. <laughs> that was a really impressive tour of Ahia's research. And I, like, I just want to highlight to everyone that we were a little bit limited because it's a podcast. We didn't want to be on uh, here for four hours because I don't think you guys wanted to listen to, to Nicole and I for that long. But um, Ahia has accomplished so much more than we were able to cover today. Uh, we will include a bunch of links in the show notes to some of her research uh, as well as the projects she's running with data horse and slipe and she also runs a a course in partnership with utrecht university on uh, motion capture and interpreting that in horses so 
especially for the veterinarians, it may be worthwhile taking a look at that course. Uh, they're currently enrolling for the 2024 uh, round of that course, and it's the content, the speakers is truly, truly remarkable. And all that to say that she has accomplished so much. She's still young. And for years and years to come, she's going to be a leader in the field. And I'm, I know I'm really excited to sit back and sort of see what she, uh, what she accomplishes in the years to come. Um, her research for sure has a lot of applications, uh, especially the pre-purchase exam uh, paper, as well as she has some other papers on uh, other kinematic parameters and asymmetry in, in the back. And so it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's something that I think more and more we're going to start thinking about when people go and do do an evaluation on a horse, whether it's a, you know, just a, a regular checkup on a horse, uh, a lameness evaluation or a pre-purchase exam. Like these are things that are more and more going to be top of mind. And as we get more and more data, we'll be able to more and more uh, accurately give a prognosis or predict where the horse may end up in, you know, six months, a year, five years. So it's, it's a really exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, the, the work that Ahi has been involved in and continues to do um, along with Slipe is, is just so in line with that of our group. Um, And as a result, uh, both Ahia and I think um, one of the founders of Slipe, um, are, are going to be at some of our upcoming events. Uh, and when I say our, I mean the Equine High Performance Sports Group. We have um, a really cool event coming up in July in Portland, Oregon, uh, called From the Ground Up. Uh, it's an in-person meeting and it's geared towards farriers, veterinarians, and, and footing experts, um, but also has a lot of interest for, you know, high-level riders and trainers. And um, it's going to be a really, really cool uh, event. Um, and then we also have um, a uh, an event in at Utrecht University in September um, that'll be uh, a little bit more focused on orthobiologics and orthopedics and um, you know all of the sort of exciting developments there. And again, it's it might be geared towards veterinarians, um, both um, acad- on the academic side and the clinical side, but. Um, there's a lot there for anybody who wants to learn and grow. So I highly recommend that you check those out at www.ehpsg.com. Again, that's www.ehpsg.com. I both I believe both are now open um, for for registration. So definitely check those out. And then they'll both be available. Um, I think they're. I know the Utrecht event is going to be live streamed. Um, not a hundred percent sure about the Oregon event, but they will both be later be available later to watch on demand through our uh, online memberships. So you can also check those out if travel is not in your future. With that, uh, that's a wrap for today. You can find the links that Tim just mentioned uh, and and everything about Achia uh, in the show notes for today's episode at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sport Horse Series. Um, and as usual, we would love it if you would follow uh, and and review and recommend the podcast to your friends and colleagues. You can also have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the App Store and search Horse Radio Network. 
And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy.